Dot Net Rocks episode 711 with guest Thomas Yangchuk. Recorded live Thursday, October 27th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to Donnet Rocks. It's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here and uh, a special guest. Hey Richard, what's up? I have a bit of the boobons to paraphrase uh, John Stewart. You're not feeling well. Well, we've been traveling pretty much continuously for how many weeks now? Uh, did you pick up a little friend in Europe? I must have. Must have been Bulgaria. I don't know. It's not that bad, but you know, the nose is going a little, little scratchy, little, you know, jet laggy. I, I don't know what to tell you. They have this wonderful stuff called Tamiflu. <laughs> have you heard of it? Yes, I have. Yeah, it saved my butt on a conference before. Although uh, the flu hadn't hit when I asked my doctor for it before I went to Bulgaria. So he said, it'd be very unlikely if yours was the first case in the area. So Just I'm saying. not going to give you Tammy Flu. There you go. Hey, let's jump into Better Know a Framework. Awesome. I'm back to doing Silverlight stuff. I'm glad. Yeah. Because the last time I looked, Silverlight was not dead. Not dead. Not dead at all. Not dying. Not even a little dead. Not even a little bit. Not barely a flesh wound. <laughs> it's uh, still the major way to do line of business applications and uh, and also any kind of application. Man, sure. I've been playing around with Light Switch. I really have. I mean, I did some shows with Beth Massey on Light Switch. I remember. Yeah, but I've actually downloaded it and started playing around with it. I'm I'm really impressed. It's fairly intuitive. I had to, I had to just sort of unlearn a lot of stuff, you know. But um, it's but, like if you know too much. Yeah, pretty much. That's I'm funny. looking for all the dials and switches to tweak the low level things. And it's like, uh, no, don't need to do that. Don't need to do that. Don't go there. Anyway, so I'm talking about system.windows.analytics. Okay. System.windows.analytics exposes read-only data about how an application is performing. Yeah. And so you have like an average process load property that gets a factor that reports the total load on the CPU that this process is using, determined across all cores average together. Interesting. You have the average processor load, not the average process load. This reports the total load on the CPU by all processes determined across all cores average together. Okay. Not just the this process, but all processes. The problem is I always worry about aggregates like that because I think it kind of blinds you to things. But It does. But it's good information if you know how to read it. You read it often and you sort of interpret it correctly. You also have client information, which gets a collection of hashed pseudo-unique base64 string values on a per-domain and machine basis. That's kind of interesting. And GPU collection, which gets a collection of GPU information objects, which includes details taken from the video driver. Oh, well, cool. I, I just like the idea that inside of our apps, we can start thinking about this stuff and, and change things around. Yeah. Well, at least look at it. You know, it's it's good to report and see if there are any abnormalities. I, I liken it to, you know, uh, checking your gas mileage when you fill up the tank. 
You right. did, my father used to do this. He had a little booklet and he wrote down what the mileage was and how many gallons he put in. So every time he filled up the tank, he could tell exactly what the miles per hour is. Now I just look at the screen. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, is that's something the Prius is good for. It's all right there. But, it's you know, you can tell your father was an engineer. That's very much an engineer's thing to do. Absolutely. But it's like taking the temperature of the car. Oh, my mileage is slipping a little bit. Something must be starting to go wrong. There you go. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of cool. Anyway, Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment from show 707, which, if you recall, was the show with Paul Lewis about 3D and HTML5. Man, that guy was scary. He was so smart. What a gas to talk to him. Yep. And uh, Rob Murdoch wrote a great comment a few days ago that says, Great episode. I hope to find an hour or so to play with this technology soon. During the latter part of the show, ActiveX came up, and the question was asked why there was never an in-the-browser application written in that technology. I ran across one 12 years ago, a time entry application that supported disconnected clients, a rich UI, and even reporting with print support. It implemented a two-tier custom synchronization scheme that kept a local MS Access database in sync with an Oracle backend. Didn't we do a Halloween horror show that describes something like this? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Does anyone remember ActiveX documents, the EXEs one built using VB6 that ran, or rather were downloaded, in the browser? Dude, it worked for me. I, I wouldn't want to be the guy that had to modernize them, though. I wrote those apps. I, I remember. Did. I, I, in fact, I wrote a kiosk in Internet Explorer using ActiveX controls, and right when they, right when it sort of hit, you know, in that same year... Well, and it, and it was and a it shortcut. Was, I mean, it basically could take this VB6 act and recompile it in a form that would show up in a browser. And I, I hate to tell you, but that browser was IE6. Yeah, that's true. And we had all sorts of problems with the registration, though. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the Internet Explorer Flash Player is an ActiveX control. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's kind of, well, if it's okay for Flash, I don't know. I think that's, that was my sentiment there. Well, Rob, thanks for giving me some serious flashbacks, uh, and uh, I'll ship you out a mug. We'll be in touch. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for show, just want to throw out some ideas there, go on to the .NET Rocks site, hit the comment engine, and write us a comment. Sometimes the guest will reply, sometimes we'll reply, sometimes you get a mug. And that's the way it goes. Well, Richard, I'm excited because our guest today is Thomas Yangchuk. And Thomas is helping to develop and ship software for Microsoft. His current focus is Node.js, N-O-D-E.js, JavaScript and Azure also. Before these projects, he's worked on the .NET framework and Silverlight, specifically the web service technologies, including WCF, SOAP, WS Star, REST, and AJAX. This should prove to be an interesting show. Welcome, Thomas. Hello. Well, we've been hearing about Node.js for a while as sort of a revolution in web development, but it was really on the the Ruby side of things and the the Java side of things and not on the .NET side of things. So I'm really pleased to meet you because obviously you're all about making this work in .NET. That's right. Well, Microsoft in general has recently engaged quite deeply with the Node.js project and Node.js community. So we are just trying to make that technology work great on Windows. So tell us about it from the beginning. If we don't know anything about Node.js, what is it? Right. So in, in principle, if you don't know anything about Node.js, chances are you know something about Silverlight, for example. Mm -hmm. So Silverlight started off with the idea of um, enabling people to use the same technology that they used on the server 
to write client applications. So basically, if you're familiar with .NET and C-sharp programming, you could leverage those skills to write uh, browser plugins. Node.js kind of puts this on ahead by, uh, by really embracing typical client-side programming environment, which is most of it, which is done in, in JavaScript these days, and tries to bring it back to the server. So basically, Node.js is an idea of uh, writing your server application in JavaScript. Wow. And would this be a, a typical web server or it would be a web service mostly? Uh, there is nothing in Node.js that really uh, focuses that technology on either of these uh, Okay. Aspects. So, so you can you can write a, a UI application or you can write a data application in it, and and typically you would see applications that do expose HTTP endpoints. All right. So we could write uh, just a raw sockets backend if we wanted to, though. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. So uh, Node.js ex- um, offers multiple transports. Uh, there is TCP, there is HTTP, named pipes, and UDP. And well, you okay. can have listeners for all of these transports. Wow, this sounds great. Well, you know, I almost get this urge like it's a NoSQL movement for web servers. Yeah. It's like no IIS. We're just stripping down to the bare essentials of what we need to communicate over TCP IP. Now, if there's, so it implements its own server. Do you have control over, um, over threading and performance and, and tweaks and the kinds of stuff that we do have in IIS? Right. So, so just Beyond um, allowing you to write server-side code, uh, Node also introduces a few basic principles for how you write it. And okay. uh, the key principle is that your server-side application is single-threaded. Okay. It, it may sound uh, uh, as a bizarre statement. No, in it's the not, actually. Ser- actually, I totally agree with you because I've done multi-threaded servers for a long time. And uh, the light bulb went off one day when I was talking to Kent Allstad. And he said, no, no, no. Single-thread, tight loop. Much, much better. It is, uh, it is much simpler to write such a server. You, you get away uh, writing an application without solving the hard concurrency problems, deadlocks, and so on. However, there is the obvious scalability problem. Most server machines these days uh, have processors that are multi-core. And if, if your server application only ever uses one thread, you, you, you are never really fully leveraging but isn't uh, isn't the uh, but isn't the architecture uh, for this kind of thing to have one server or one service running on each core? And this is precisely how how the recommended practice for scaling nodes to multiple to, on multi-core machines uh, is. Basically, you spin up multiple processes, node processes. Each of them is running the same application, and they have a way of load balancing traffic across these processes. Right. And then, of course, the the only other difficult part becomes if you need to have kind of shared resources between all of those processes. Yes, that, that problem, in essence, is not that much different uh, than the problem of uh, scaling out yeah. uh, your web server to multiple machines. So in principle, you would probably apply the same ar- architecture right. to solve that problem. Yeah, some sort of uh, service that supports all of the backend services like a, a database or some, something like that. Exactly. Well, this sounds great. Um, and I'm looking at uh, nodejs.org. Uh, this is sort of the, the, the homepage for Node.js. Is it? That's or, correct, yes. Yeah. Okay. And there's some great... I love the webpage that's just very 
much. Here's the code. It's got the elevator pitch and then some code, and it shows you how easy <laughs> it is. It's great. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. JavaScript, really? <laughs> well, let's let's put this another way. Um, what are the benefits of using JavaScript on the server, and what are the uh, deficiencies? Right. So the benefits of using JavaScript on the server. So first of all, uh, as I said at the beginning, the the one of the principles of the Node.js project was to embrace the the existing community of web developers who know how to program in HTML and JavaScript. And you can argue that this is actually the the biggest developer community, single developer community out there today. Basically, uh, folks who are writing web applications would know how to write client-side JavaScript today. So by embracing the the similar set of patterns that people use to author client-side applications in JavaScript, so single-threaded app uh, with no blocking calls, because those would hang hang up your browser. By embracing those programming patterns and and just applying them in a server-side environment, you're automatically enabling a very broad set of developers to start writing uh, server-side applications as well. So this is the one of the key benefits of actually using JavaScript in particular in Node.js. Another one is that uh, in terms of JavaScript engines, there is actually a quite active competition uh, among uh, JavaScript engine vendors. Google has one, Microsoft has one, Firefox has one. And basically, uh, in that environment, uh, the, the competition leads to uh, ever-improved um, performance and, and characteristics of those right. engines. So we are basically at a point right now where running uh, JavaScript uh, is not that much slower than than running other scripting languages in the first place, but it, it's also getting acceptably slower compared to running uh, native applications. Acceptably slower. So in other words, it doesn't suck that bad. It doesn't suck that bad. Yeah. There was actually a, a, a interesting presentation uh, by the folks from Mozilla during JSConf EU uh, in Berlin last month, where they were basically showing the the, the limits of what you can do uh, performance-wise in JavaScript compared to writing native code. They came up with a multiplier of around uh, two to three times slower than native code, which is the limit. That this for, for many people, this is an acceptable price to pay for uh, the usability of writing JavaScript code compared to native programming. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I, but I thought the whole idea of a of a server side uh, application is, you know, speed and scalability. Um, I guess you know what you'd want to do is have some real numbers comparing. Uh, performance for for basic stuff and then for under a load. Uh, are there any are there any metrics out there that have uh, studies that have been done? Uh, you know, th- these are the the, the best uh, direct numbers I have seen from from the presentation uh, at at JSConf. I am um, uh, I haven't seen any other direct numbers. You know, the, the argument always runs along the lines of, uh, it, of course, it is more expensive to run some code. Than not run it at all. True. Uh, where where running the code really means maintaining the virtual environment of the Java Java virtual machine. 
uh, JavaScript is, of course, a managed language. It maintains its garbage collector and so on and so forth. All these things do cost time of the processor, right? In yeah. addition to that, it is an untyped language. So many of the operations detect the the types of the data you're operating on only at runtime, which also adds performance overhead. And this, at the moment, this uh, actually is perceived as uh, probably the uh, the one element that uh, prevents JavaScript from from ever becoming as fast as native programming. Yeah, lack of typing. Right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. But you know, execution speed generally isn't the problem here. Our processors are stinky fast. It's threads. You know, it's contention. This is When we talk about scaling up websites, and I've, I've done a few, that's where I get into trouble. Uh, yes, yes, and and um, Node.js uh, makes it actually very easy to scale out your processes by basically forcing you to write code that is scalable uh, out of the gate. Uh, so remember, uh, a single uh, node process is single-threaded. So very quickly, you will get to a point where you actually have to spin up multiple of them to serve uh, the the load of uh, even a, a middle-sized application. Uh, so that, that means that you're hitting the wall of actually having to scale out much quicker, uh, which means that you'll uh, architect and design your solution as a, in a way that will scale out uh, right from the get-go. Are there any websites we can hit that are running Node.js? Uh, I'll have to... Cloud9ID.com is one. Cloud9ID.com. It is actually a, a development environment, on, uh, online development environment for Node.js written in Node.js. Oh, Cloud9IDE. I'm sorry, I thought you said ID. Right. Cloud9IDE.com. Okay. Very cool. And so, so I guess once you have the basic Node.js, now you have to build up some sort of libraries if you're doing uh, web development, for example, you know, the kind of stuff that's in the .NET framework that helps us do our job. What is there in Node.js uh, to, to su- sort of support that? Uh, th- there is actually a ton of open source uh, modules. 
uh, available for Node.js. Node.js core ships with a, a small set of built-in libraries, things like uh, HTTP server, HTTP client, TCP server, file system support, and so on. Uh, there is a very rich ecosystem uh, of um, extensions provided by the open source community right now. The, these modules go in thousands, literally. And I think this is actually one of the benefits of providing an environment that uh, automatically leverages the skills of a uh, very broad uh, existing community. Yeah. You basically, from day one, you have a lot of people who know how to go and, and add value to the project and actually get excited um, about it. So one one data point, uh, Node.js is a is a project that is hosted on GitHub. Uh, GitHub uh, has that concept of watchers. Every project can have a certain number of watchers, and this mm -hmm. is oftentimes used as a measure of the popula popularity of a project. Uh, so quite recently, Node.js actually exceeded the number of watchers that jQuery has. Wow! And it is right now a second-rated project on GitHub, right after Ruby on Rails. And if you look at the numbers, the, the distance is so small that this is just a matter of time, I think. Do you have any um, pointers or links to uh, some of these open source modules for Node.js? Yes, yes. Joint actually has a great list on uh, on its wiki site. If you go to github.com slash joint. And how do you spell that? J-O-Y-E-N-T. Okay. And then Node is the first project there, so click on Node, then go to Wiki. And if you scroll down, there is a Modules uh, section. And there is a link to Modules page. Okay, there there you go. Yeah. So if you, if you just skim through this page, there is like thousands of modules down there for all kinds of tasks under the sun. The, the, the kind of rule of thumb is that if you can think of some kind of uh, functionality that you may need, you'll probably find at least a few modules to choose from that provide that functionality for Node. Okay. And all these modules are going to work in IIS Node? Like there's no platform connection here? So uh, there are two aspects. First of all, there is uh, Linux, uh, versus Windows. So uh, Node.js started off as uh, uh, the, the primary um, hosting uh, OS for Node.js had been Linux from the from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So all the modules that had been developed from day one of Node.js, which was back in two thousand and nine, were really target uh, were really targeting Linux. Uh, Microsoft has engaged with uh, Joyent and Ryan Dahl to, to improve the uh, Windows port of Node.js uh, at the beginning of the year, I think, as far as, far as I remember. Uh, and then back at that time, major improvements had, had been done in the uh, core Node.js um, executable. We moved off of SIGWIN implementation onto IO completion ports. Basically, we refactored the entire implementation of Node.js to use mechanisms that are native to the Windows operating system without using any intermediate abstraction layers. Okay. Um, so uh, the one aspect of compatibility is what works on Linux versus what works on Windows on kind of vanilla Node executable. 
And uh, in general, there are two kinds of modules for Node. There are modules written entirely in JavaScript, and there are modules that uh, actually extend the core functionality of Node.js using native mechanisms av available on the system on which Node is running. And currently, uh, the there is no story for running native modules developed on Linux on Windows, obviously. Okay. Uh, even if these modules had been, uh, th there hasn't been even a way for people to offer uh, native uh, node extensions that were cross-platform. That story is coming together only now. So going forward, there will be a mechanism for actually writing native Node.js extensions that are also cross-platform. Uh, the expectation is that most of the uh, JavaScript, pure JavaScript modules will work exactly uh, the same on Linux and, and uh, on Windows, though. So that is the one aspect of compatibility. The second aspect is what runs in... Uh, there are two ways of running Node applications on Windows. One is you uh, author your application, you just provide it as a command line parameter to the Node executable, and you start that Node executable standalone. Uh, the, the primary... Uh, implication of that mode of execution is that is the way in which node will establish an HTTP listener, which most of the applications will do. Uh, in that mode, node will basically create a, a TCP level listener and use its built-in HTTP parsing capability. So in that mode, node, for example, will support the full HTTP 1.1 protocol as well as WebSockets. Okay, I gotta interrupt you uh, here. I'm I'm looking at this list of modules. Oh my god, it's huge! It's enormous, isn't it? And that was and, my first impression too. <laughs> yeah, there are so many things in so many categories here. I there are eight even, CSS engines. Yeah, I can't even name I can't even name the categories without taking too much time. So you really got to go here. We do have a link to this the 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 modules page. Um, but I want to ask you though, you know. You're going to be overwhelmed the for the first time when you look at this. What? Where is there any kind of? Uh, I mean, obviously there are blogs and things where people talk about stuff, but how do you make sense out of what? What am I wasting my time with here? And where should I? Where should I? What should I pick? <laughs> well, uh, so there are a few ways to wrap your head head around it. First of all, if you're very new to Node, the best place to start is probably node.js.org. And uh, you've got the documentation for the core modules in there, as well as a few samples, mm -hmm. as well as a, um, a list of the most popular uh, third-party modules. And that okay. list is like 10. So you can, you can actually go and embrace it. Uh, there is uh, the, the most popular one is probably Express Framework, which is an MVC-like framework for, for writing web apps. Uh, people are using Socket.io quite frequently to abstract away uh, real-time communication between the browser and the server. So basically, the idea behind Socket.io is that um, when WebSockets are available, WebSockets will be used. If, if they are not available the, the uh, transport layer will fall back to using HTTP long polling. And there is a bunch of other transports built in, in a similar fashion into Socket.io. So there is a list of kind of top 10 modules that you should know about, and they are a good starting point. It also looks like a lot of these are generic uh, JavaScript modules, aren't they? 
So because it's JavaScript, there's you know so many things that don't have to do specifically with the server side, you can reuse that. Yes, yes. A great deal of the modules you see there is written purely in JavaScript. Compression, At some point, they may have a dependency on a module that has a native component to it. Yeah. So, you know, the vast majority of the native dependencies is already built into the node, the core node executable, which is, which now works cross platform on Linux and um, Windows. However, the third party native dependencies may not necessarily work cross platform. Wow. There's so much stuff here to talk about. Um, we could, we could spend, why don't, why don't you talked about Express as a sort of a, a good example of a very popular framework? Give us a, give us a, a, a little bit of scratching the surface of Express and, or, or if not that one, another very popular module. So Express is an MVC framework. There is a concept of a, a view, a controller, and, and a model. Uh, Express supports uh, pluggable rendering engines. So, so there is a few standards you can use to author your views. Uh, in terms of the uh, data storage functionality, you'll see that Node.js applications typically work quite well with uh, MongoDB or CouchDB, which uh, which are really focusing on presenting the data in an unstructured way, which is very easy to operate on in a JavaScript environment. Okay. So um, give us a, another one of your favorite modules. Just pick one. Well, um, it's not as much of a module as a tool, Node Inspector. This is actually something I'm working okay. with uh, closely lately, trying to integrate it into AS Node. Node Inspector provides a remote debugging experience for Node applications. So basically, uh, what it allows you to do is to start a, a, a Node.js application, then start a debugger application also written in Node.js. The debugger application will uh, expose itself as a web app. So basically using a, you, you can debug Node.js application from your browser. Uh, the UI is wow. actually quite rich. You, you have, of course, source level debugging. So the, the, the debugger itself will fetch the source code, the script, the executing script from the actual executing application and present it in the, in the UI. You can put breakpoints, you can inspect variables. Access Console, anything you would expect from a modern visual debugger. Wow. And given that this is a web app, it is, of, of course, cross-platform. It doesn't matter where you host your Node.js application. It may be Linux or it may be Windows. You can debug it the same from Windows, Mac, Linux, or whatnot, as long as you have a, a browser in there. <laughs> At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of happy .NET Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. So can we jump back a little here? Because I, I guess I want to, I mean, obviously IIS is involved here, but is this really an alternative to ASP.NET? And why would I want to do that? 
So uh, this is really coming back to the two ways of uh, running Node.js applications on Windows. One mm -hmm. we already talked about, which is you start a standalone Node executable. Another one is uh, hosting Node.js applications in IIS. And the, the basic idea behind that is that there is actually a number of benefits we had in mind when we started that project. One of them, uh, the, the few key elements is um, process management, um, side by running applications side by side with other types of content, mm -hmm. and scalability to multi-core servers. So let, let me just go a little bit deeper on each of them. Process management. So uh, remember the alternative, starting up uh, node.exe. It's really uh, very similar to authoring uh, uh, executable on Windows running it as a server, right? So you really don't have a control over when that process crashes, what will happen then. Uh, you don't get message uh, activation. You basically have to have, to have that process running uh, from the get-go. IAS brings the entire process lifetime management uh, into the picture. So we will not even start a Node.js application uh, until the message targeting that application arrives on the box. Uh, you'll get the benefits of uh, automatic process recycling and uh, health management that IAS offers. Right. So, so that is the process management aspect. Side by side with other content types. While it is true that you can actually uh, use Node to serve up all kinds of content, including static content like uh, HTML file, files or, or client-side JavaScript, it is really not... Uh, Really not what it's meant efficient. for. It is not really uh, what it is meant for in the sense that it is not really super efficient to run JavaScript code to serve static content. Sure. These things are be be best left to uh, being implemented completely at the, in the native layer. Well, and IIS is really good at serving static content. Like it's exactly. got smart so, caching. It's got all kinds of intelligence to do that well. Why would you reinvent that? That's exactly the point. So basically, we are using the the configuration capabilities of IAS to distinguish between different kinds of content, uh, Node.js application, ASP.NET application, WCF, PHP, or static content. And basically, we are running appropriate handlers uh, for each of these content types. So you can create a very rich web application that will have a bunch of HTML files, a bunch of uh, pictures in it, uh, ZAP files maybe even, uh, an Node.js application and a, let's say a WCF service sitting right next to each other as a single composite application. So this is the side-by-side, -side, side um, the ability to write, uh, to, to serve up uh, a variety of content types sitting side-by-side -side within the same application. Uh, one more aspect is the uh, scalability to multi-core servers. So uh, coming back to that um, aspect of Node, which um, the single-threaded aspect of Node, single Node.exe only can leverage one uh, core at a time. Uh, by hosting it in IAS, we actually provide functionality which will spawn multiple node executables for a single application and provide load balancing of traffic uh, uh, across it. Right. So, I was just thinking that, that. So you'd have one instance you're calling into, and then it could actually light up any number of instances behind it. Yes. Actually, that load balancing happens uh, at a level of a native IAS module. So you don't even go into JavaScript to do that load balancing at all. Um, uh, I got a 
question from Twitter. Uh, and this is one that I was going to ask you too. We, we touched a little bit on when you have, um, you know, the, the, the desired architecture is multiple instances of the server running on different cores. Is there, is there architecture for that? If you're not running an IIS, obviously, um, is there architecture for that and how does it work? Yes, there is, there is absolutely architecture for that. There is a custom module called cluster. Uh, which uh, performs the very same task that I just described, just um, uh, it is implemented as a Node.js application itself. So you basically start a controller that runs the cluster manager, and that cluster manager is responsible for spawning uh, child processes that and, and later load balancing the traffic across them. And actually, the mechanism to do the load balancing is, is quite interesting. Because the controller that spawns the children does not act as a reverse proxy. Uh, all the subsequent requests aren't even going through it. What happens is that the uh, TCP listener that is originally established to listen for traffic is actually duplicated and shared among the spawned processes. And the load balancing happens at the operating system level. So okay. the kernel decides which of the processes will uh, receive a subsequent connection. Good. Wow, that's cool. How does this all trickle back to the browser or the calling app anyway? Yeah, is there any problems with state, for example? From the perspective of the browser, uh, all the uh, several instances of uh, node executable running on a single box are really exposed as a single HTTP endpoint. Right, so you still only have one connection. You only have one, yes. You you only have one connection. It's just when that connection is made, the operating the server decides which of the processes is going to serve that particular instance of the connection. Okay. And more than one can? Any of them can because they are running the same application. But given right. a single connection, only a particular process will get that connection and then it okay. will serve, serve it through its lifetime. But it will hand it from one process to another to, to, I'm just thinking you've just split off to all these different, uh, parallel tasks and you were trying to just roll everything back up. They've all got to make their contributions to the connection. Yeah. Oh, so once a instance of a connection is assigned to a process, it mm -hmm. stays with that process for the lifetime of that connection. So if multiple HTTP requests are sent over the same connection, uh, if, if, you know, connection keep alive is used with HTTP, yeah. then a, a particular process will get all these requests. Of okay. course, there, there is no guarantee that from the client's perspective, there is no guarantee that two subsequent HTTP requests will ever make it to the same process on the server. Right. It is the same situation as if you scaled out your application to multiple server machines, really. So is there you any synchronization between these, uh, these instances? None. None whatsoever. Basically, you have to architect You'd your server-side solution in the very same way you would do it uh, if it. you scaled out to multiple machines. Right, with a database or some other store outside. But I do like the idea that behavior is the same within a machine as it is across multiple machines. You're just going to keep you out of trouble for scaling. Yeah, that's but pretty that cool. That is true. On, on, on the other hand, you know, if you know that all the instances of the server are running on the same machine, you can, you can make different technology choices in terms of how to share state among them, right? 
you can either use a distributed cache in case of a cross-machine scale-out, or you can use a local cache um, on that particular machine if you know all the processes are running on it, mm. right? But in principle, yes, the, the design of such a system would, would be very, very similar. So um, another question from Jim uh, Jim A., who's got a really long name that I can't pronounce right now. Uh, how do you use IIS Node with existing hosting companies? In other words, you ever had seen any pushback from a hosting company for hosting Node.js? Well, I, I, I've never tried, but I fully expect such pushback. Um, basically, it really boils down to the trust uh, the admin of the short hosting service would mm. put in IS Node. This is a native module, It needs, to, which implies that it needs to be registered globally on a machine. Right. And it can do evil things to your box if, if <laughs> this is what it wanted. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I do suspect that, that, um, threat hosting companies will have a, uh, second thought, uh, be, before actually freely installing it and providing that capability. And, uh, Eric Potter also asks, uh, from Twitter, uh, for an ASP.net developer, what will be the hardest thing about learning Node? The hardest thing perhaps would be, if you haven't done any JavaScript before, like even client-side JavaScript, the hardest part would probably be grokking the async pattern. Uh, basically, accepting the fact that there isn't a single blocking API call in Node. Every API, be it, uh, you know, if you, if you think of fetching data from a database in terms of uh, link to SQL, for example, uh, each API like that in Node would be asynchronous. So you, you'd start your fetch data operation and you'd provide it a callback that will get called when that operation completes. And this is a very standard pattern for any potentially blocking APIs in Node. Remember that Node is single-threaded, so you, you, right. the, the framework cannot afford to have a blocking API. Right. Right. But, you I mean, you get your multi-threaded behavior by creating more connections or spinning up additional processes you can go as multi-threaded as you want you're just not going multi-threaded within a given task yes yes but uh, you know spinning up multiple processes is, is not uh, the, the best way to to scale out to multiple connections if you assume that each of them will block it's like really going back to the cgi days yeah you're just making yourself you just get yourself back into the trouble you're trying to get out of in the first place yeah right all right so you pretty much sold Richard and I on Node.js. This is great stuff, and and I want to play around with it immediately. Um, what? Uh, where do I go to download, install? What's what are the installation requirements? Um, is it a, is it a pretty much a standalone? I know it's written in C plus plus, so it's probably pretty tight. You know, not a lot of dependencies on lots of external uh, DLLs. But just tell me what the installation's like. Right, so so perhaps the best place to start on Windows right now, the most comprehensive list of starting points is the IAS node project on GitHub. So going from there, you can install the standalone exe, and that gives you the the minimum required to start playing with Node. It'll give you IAS node installation, which enables you to run Node.js apps in IAS as well as IAS Express. It'll give you a list of useful how-tos for things like uh, using web matrix for IS node uh, development, for how to use the most popular modules um, with node on Windows. 
and it'll also provide you some troubleshooting pointers since this is a very new technology. So do not expect the stability level of .NET from it. So you would recommend using uh, Node.IIS instead of uh, a standalone version? It really depends what, what your goal is. If you, uh, if you ever want to deploy your application, uh, a web application, and this is what you're writing, I think IIS Node is actually the best fit. If you are into more um, esoteric scenarios that, for example, require WebSockets or you're processing some non-message activated asynchronous workloads, like getting messages from a queue and, and processing them completely asynchronously. Or you're not using any... HTTP, right? If you're not using or you're, HTTP. Or you're, or you're not using HTTP, yes, yes. Basically, if you are not exposing HTTP endpoints, then your best starting point is... Um, is vanilla node.exe. Yeah. A couple more tweets here. Would a node.dart make sense if Dart makes it, or is there something especially good about JS? And I don't even know what Dart is, so tell us what that is. Well, Dart is a new... An oh, attempt I, yeah, from... this is Google's language, right? Exactly, exactly. Ah, yeah. So this is the uh, JavaScript is not good enough. Let's have a new language initiative right. yeah. from Google. I just heard about this, actually. Uh, you know, which, which the, the principles I think are, are quite uh, reasonable. This comes really back to the fact that you can only do as good with JavaScript given lack of strong typing. One of the benefits of Dart is that it actually provides a way for a developer to express, uh, types, which enables, um, performance, further, further performance improvements in the execution layer. So that's one of the many benefits. I think if and when that language picks up and really becomes something that uh, a large body of developers knows how to program in, then by all means, having a server-side um, story for it would definitely make sense. But it's, you know, the JavaScript is everywhere, and it has so much history behind it, and and it's everybody knows it. Why would, yeah, why would you use anything else? I think the whole lure of Node.js is JavaScript. In a sense, yes. But basically, if you if you take any random machine <laughs> anywhere today, it has some form of a JavaScript engine. Be it in the browser, be it on the server, there is a way to run JavaScript code on most of the machines out there, regardless of what the OS is, right? So getting to that level of um, proliferation with any other language is going to be a very long and bumpy road. Right. And, uh, you know, as long as we're supporting languages, why not support uh, C-sharp or uh, VBnet, you know? Anyway, um, well, Tomas, this has been an amazing interview, and uh, thanks for opening our eyes to Node.js. You know, I'd heard a little bit about this, but I had never really, uh, never really thought about it like this. Uh, it's great. Well, thank you. You sold me. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net. 
training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 